You're listening to the Sermon Podcast for the Peak Church, located in Apex, North Carolina. Our church is striving to welcome all who are feeling disconnected from God. And so our hope is that over the next several minutes, you will connect with the God that we are talking about, and you'll resonate deeply with the life that this God wants for you. We hope you enjoy. The scripture passage for today is from Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 27. Then God said, let us make humanity in our image to resemble us so that they may take charge of the fish of the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the earth, and all the crawling things on earth. God created humanity in God's own image. In the divine image, God created them. Male and female, God created them. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, friends, today we are actually wrapping up a sermon series that we have been in the last several weeks. If you're just joining us for the very first time, we're wrapping up a sermon series that is called Me, Myself, and Why. Me, Myself, and Why. You see, uh, slowly but surely, we're wrapping up the season of Lent. And Lent is this 40-day period we spend in preparation for Easter where we really start to do some introspection, some inner work on ourselves our faith and our relationship with God. And one of the tools that is really, really helpful in that work is a tool called the Enneagram. And some people here, over the course of these last several weeks, we've been speaking your language. You know all about this tool. You use this tool on a regular basis. For others of us, this is a new tool that we've been exposed to that's helping us understand and obtain answers to the question of why. Why am I the way that I am? Why do I act that way? Or maybe for you, it was a lot of learnings about someone critical in your life. Why is it they always ask this question or they always respond and react in this way, right? And so from the onset, I'm going to give you a little bit of sneak peek. Uh, Whenever we build sermon series, this one included, whenever we build sermon series, the last, uh, one of the questions that we ask at the very end is like, great, wonderful, super interesting, now what? Like, so what? What do we hope people, as a result of all the conversation we just had, what do we hope people think and feel and do differently as a result of this newfound information, the new revelations we encountered throughout this conversation? And so today, I invited a friend along who I think can help us obtain some answers to this question a personal friend of mine who is also a certified Enneagram instructor. Please join me in welcoming Susan Graby. Susan? Good morning. (laughs) Now, Susan and I go way back. We go way back. Back when I was in preparation of being ordained, Susan was my coach and held a lot of power as to whether or not uh, I could eventually be ordained. And so you can blame her. Uh, for the fact that I'm still I here doing the, this. The ear for a of the bishop in the cabinet. That's right. On all <laughs> That's not, right. Not, not. 
But Susan and I became fast friends because we're also both the same Enneagram type. We are both threes. We are both achievers. We are both goal setters, go-getters. By the way, we also share a mutual friend in Angelo Sanchez who literally texted me this a week ago. He said, hey, I read this. It's a satire article from The New Yorker. He said, I read this article and I immediately thought of you and how insufferable you guys are. So this is uh, the satire. It says, winners wake up early. Every article I've written about my morning routine. And so these are, again, these are fake articles, but they include, but are not limited to, number one, the 6 a.m. lifestyle, how to have a little bit more me time each morning. The next article, 5 a.m. is the new 6 a.m. Nine ways that waking up extremely early isn't just smart, but mandatory for entrepreneurs like you and me. Third article, winners wake up actually at 4.30 a.m., the science of how we can all become rich by being less pathetic. Um, Fourthly, I wake up before you do. Nine reasons why I have a brand new Tesla, a full-time startup job, an online side hustle, and a great family while you retweet the Dalai Lama like a loser. And then fifthly, actually you wake up at 4.12 a.m. Don't ask me why, it just sounds right. And nine reasons why you should cyber bully anyone who doesn't wake up that same time. All right? So this is a little bit of sneak peek into uh, the crazy people that you're sitting with uh, here today. Um, I think this is probably a little bit more me than it is you. You're a little bit more sane. I may be more the performer. I have my own monogrammed karaoke mic. So it, <laughs> oh, it my god! I mean, we can show up differently, and yeah. maybe maybe that's a little different. Although I could sort of see you yeah. with your own karaoke mic. Yeah. And We're going to need video evidence of that at some point it. in the okay. future. <laughs> But I want to dive in, Susan, I want to dive in because um, this conversation we've been having for the last four weeks has been really, really rich, and it's been something that's led to a lot of revelation for all of us internally, and it's also led to some revelation in regards to people that we know, that we love, who we've struggled to understand and struggled to love up until this point. And so let's go back to the scripture passage for today. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 1. So I'm a preacher. I'm a preacher. And so the way in which I interpret the Enneagram is I like to think of it in terms like a car. So there's make and there's model, you know, make and model, so like a Toyota Camry, something like that. So the way in which I interpret Genesis 1, the passage we just heard, is that God is the make, God is the maker, we all possess the image and likeness of God, and the Enneagram is like a model. It's showing us God made all of us, but we're all so unique, we're all so different, and a tool like the Enneagram helps us understand what model we are, and how we show up in the world. So, no pressure. Agree or disagree with my assessments and my interpretation. Uh, how do you, how does Genesis 1 sit with you? So, go for it. So, I've enjoyed sitting with this passage over the last couple of weeks. And really the way I see it is, is if we are indeed, we are indeed, we have the divine within us. We are made in the image of God. And in this way... We are called to be um, people who are receptive, recipients of that image, and then we are to be reflections of that image. So, um, and a reflection, you know, to share that grace, love, and mercy that God has given us. When I think about these nine models, I see it as nine um, open-hearted, embodied ways for us to come toward each other, drive toward each other um, with those kinds of things in mind, being recipients and reflections. Yeah. I like that. I like that. So I think like another way to frame it is I think all the time about this passage uh, in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 that says that God put 
eternity in every human heart. I love that. God put eternity in every human heart. And so what I say, why, like why we have conversations like this inside the church is because what this does, I think it forces us to say, okay, when you want to go and learn more about God, you want to discover more about God, yes, go search out there. But also just realize at some point, the search for God is going to require you to go in here to find the pieces of God that God planted inside of you. And that sometimes is a little bit of a scary endeavor. So now I want to come back to something really quickly before we move on. So you used a particular phrase or a word, uh, open-hearted, that we can unlock these pieces of God, these pieces of God's DNA inside of us, if we engage the world in an open-hearted way. That phrase can probably mean 400 different things with 400 different people. How do you define open-hearted and how we should or could engage the world? That's a great question. So I want to circle back to the, some of the things that y'all have been, been following online, so some of the things that you've been talking about over these last few weeks. You talked about uh, the body center, the body triad, the heart triad, and the, the mind triad, right? Well, those are three ways that we know. Um, it's not something that you can see. So when we think about bearing the image of the divine, it's all kind of mixing and mingled together. Interestingly enough, the body way of knowing is the one that we probably know the least about and we ignore the most. But get this, it's that, it's that felt sense, right? We usually are thinking about things, but it actually is beginning in our body. So get this, the body, and I'm going to make sure that I get this right um, this time, the body has the ability to take in 11 million bits of information, Per second. The per second. Per second. The mind can take in 50 bits. 50 bits. So quick, I'm going to pause because you needed. Quick, quick you math. Were, Anybody? Yeah. Can you do 50 divided by 11 million? Anybody? Yeah. Anybody? That's the percentage of information we're actually processing. Yeah. Of, of that we're taking in with our bodies. So that means clearly that we miss a lot, right? Um, our body is telling us a lot of things from our past um, and in, in this present moment. So here's how it works. We sort of get this. Uh, the body is also where we have our sense of belonging and boundaries. And um, it's a place that we know that we belong to each other and God. We, it, we feel it there first. We experience it there. And so when we have that kind of sensate feeling, when we notice it, right, that's what wakes up the heart. The heart is a very tender part of us. It wants to feel safe like it's being held. So that body knowledge wakes up the heart. And then, so important, Amanda, you did a, just a fantastic job of helping us understand that the heart is not just emotions and feelings. That's part of it, right? The heart really is where we hold our values and our sense of I identity. Um, I think you said it's our moral disposition. Yeah, anyway, y'all can go back and watch that. But yeah, it's, it's where we know who we are and what we value. So that wakes up and then our minds help us decide based on what we value. It wakes our minds up to say, and now what do we do? What's that next step? It can be a little risky, actually, because to have, be open, walking around open-hearted, you know, we'll take in things that seem scary or frightening, you know, or um, 
painful, um, irritating, make us mad, right? And in those moments, we still have to try to stay open-hearted in that full-bodied way and ask ourselves, what would our values have, our do, have us do? And we've got a slide that will show us some of the fruits of this. It's not something like you just wake up and say, oh, I'm going to have affection for others. It doesn't work like that. It's a fruit, so it means in that place of open-heartedness, we begin to experience that and be that more fully. Did you want to say more about this? Yeah, so when you share these with me, like I looked at those nine things. And again, some of us were so steeped in this conversation, we immediately know what type we are. And so when, when I look at the, like the, the diagram, especially, especially on the right-hand side, so my interpretation was these nine things for each of the nine types are things that don't come naturally to us, but if we practice them, they act as a doorway into an open-hearted existence. So, for example, I'm a three. We talked about that a moment ago. And so, if I am someone who is so focused on ambition and focused on setting goals and making and success and making progress, I can be, it can be tempting to hide things, to mask things that might obstruct that progress, that goal setting. And so, the pathway for an open-hearted existence for me is to make sure at every step I'm being authentic. Amanda talked about this last time, that it's authentic ambition. It's genuine ambition. That's the pathway that we're after. And so am I correct in that assumption that, like, as people are looking at this diagram and they, they know their type or they're, you know, maybe they're oscillating between a couple, uh, we're seeing things that maybe don't come naturally to us, they're challenging to us, but if we incorporated them into our daily lives, we would actually start to see our world's opened up. Yeah, I mean, when your heart, and again, remember, it's opening up all the parts of you. When that is open, um, then you are in that place where you will be more alive. You'll be more grace-filled, all those kinds of things. That will be a fruit of it. And trust me, um, in my Enneagram journey and my teaching and my training, one of the things that, the way that we learn is to listen to panels of people really narrate their own experience of type. And it's just unbelievable to see how people come alive in this way and begin to see this change in their lives as they use this as a tool for spiritual formation. Love that. So uh, I want to burrow in a little bit deeper. Because again, at every, I said this from the onset, I said this a couple times throughout the course of the sermon series, that this was not a sermon series actually on the Enneagram. It was not a sermon series trying to convince people to become followers and adopters of the Enneagram. Really what it was is you go back to the great commandment to love, our, we are called, we are here in church today because we're trying to learn how to become people who love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I don't know about you, but I need tools to help me figure out what the heck does that mean to love the Lord my God with all of those different facets of my being. So here's what I want to do. Here's what I want to do. When, let's break it down. Let's go to the mind. Let's go to thinking. Again, we talked about this at the beginning of the sermon series, that like sermon series don't matter unless they change how we think, feel, or act in the world. When you teach about the Enneagram, when you teach about this tool or any tool out there that's helping you gain self-awareness, how do you hope people think, so let's start up here, how do you hope people think differently as a result of learning this? So I'll answer that, but first I want to ask you a question. Okay. All righty. So, and... This is not part of the agreement. Sorry, I'm sorry, I may embarrass you, Marie, I'm sorry. I want to know if you and Marie have ever had like a family situation and you had completely 
opposite reactions to it. Yeah, this happens hourly uh, in our households. Um, but probably Not the, at mine. <laughs> but probably the most tangible example of this. So my son just took up Taekwondo recently, and he loves it so much. He can beat me up. Anyway, for his birthday, he wanted to have his birthday party at a Taekwondo dojo. And I kid you not, this is how they allow the children to cut their birthday cake on their birthday. How sweet is that? Which again, gives you a little bit of an inclination as to the difference of reactions. So Marie and I are in the same room, we're experiencing this event together. I'm over there like, this is the coolest thing I have ever seen in my entire life. I want to get my hands on that sword. I'm about to go buy a random cake from Harris Teeter so I can cut this thing up. Meanwhile, Marie's over there immediately assessing the situation and how many limbs are right now exposed on the children's table. And Marie's having saying a very it was a terrifying, birthday party yes. and lives were lost. It wasn't supposed to go that way. That's, ah. They did sign the waiver, though. So they signed that they knew, they knew full well when they came in really fun or lose a finger. But like, say, so that's a perfect example. Same situation, we're both in the same room, yeah. react very differently. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it just so happens that research shows that we come, we're born with one of nine temperament styles. Um, you can take the Enneagram out of it, you can overlay the Enneagram onto these styles and it's pretty phenomenal what you'll find. But we'll go back. A temperament is simply an emotional reaction to your environment. So to emotionally probably, you know, kind of have a, a pause in time to see your son holding a sword and, you know, getting ready to cut a cake might give you an emotional reaction to the environment that you are put in. Interestingly enough, though, these, these patterns are just embedded in us. They happened so early. They were unconscious to us. We could have been like one little baby could have a wet diaper and just be screaming and hollering going, what, is, what are you doing to me? Get in here. Somebody help me. Do you know what I mean? Like what? Another baby might say, what diaper? What's the big deal? Why are you having this reaction? Right? I mean, we are all different. That's just two ways. And so the interesting, interesting saying, part. Sorry, and you're saying the science backs this up. The like science that, the backs science it backs up. up. I promise. Yeah. I will be glad to send all kinds of stuff. Yeah, the science really backs it up. And so the interesting thing is that we tend to react with the patterns of our infant child self. Think about Thanksgiving. That'll probably cue you in. But that is how we often react. That's our emotional response to something that is happening. So what I would want is for people to be willing to think about this and to delve into what these patterns look like for us and to begin thinking about how do I change this? Because we can. We can breathe. We can be being aware, like in the body, is step number one. I am feeling this sense of dread arise. Um, let me examine that and see what's going on. Yeah. I like that. When you shared this bits of information with me uh, last week, immediately I thought of this. So I thought of this spectrum, this spectrum. That uh, what I heard you say was when we have things like this creep up, we need to get curious. We need to get curious. But what's interesting is how often we react on the opposite ends of the spectrum. So something happens inside of me, I react a certain way to a certain situation, and I either get super hypercritical, gosh, 
oh, dumb, why did I do that, Kyle? And I get super overly critical about myself. Why did you do that? Why did you think this way? What's wrong with you? Or we overreact the other direction, we just become complacent. We go, yeah, well, that's just who I am, so, you know, whatever. It's just like I don't, I don't really need to spend any more time with it. This is just the way the good Lord made me, and so uh, y'all got to live with it. Whereas curiosity feels like that healthy balance. It feels like that healthy balance that I need to learn how, thinking-wise, because we're starting here, I need to think more evaluatively and more critically about how I show up in the world. And again, like we've been talking about this whole sermon series, what are the ways in which my personality is a gift to a certain situation, and what is it a liability? You can't do that with either one of those. Critical only sees the liability. Complacency only sees the gift. we got to see both. we got to see the complexity of who we are as human beings. That is so true. You're going to put a slide up, and I'm going to ask you to hold up this T-shirt to give an example because I, want to, I really want to build on what you're saying. So recently, my nickname was Figgy when I was a little girl, and recently I found a shirt that I had made in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, really fun, and it no longer fits. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I can't even get my arm. I, I got it on my head yesterday and had to ask for assistance to get it off. Can I have it as like a gym no, shirt? A gym t-shirt? No, no, you cannot have it. I love it. So, because I, 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 but it's important for us to remember this because a lot of what we're doing no longer fits. It no longer serves us, right? Uh, now, that doesn't mean to get critical of ourselves. It doesn't mean to try to, like, repress that part of ourselves. It's not that way at all. It means to grow that part of ourselves up. I would not have gotten far in my life without that part of me that used to fit into that shirt. But I'll tell you, her, uh, you know, her gumption or my gumption and my can-do attitude is something that I have to nurture and grow. If I really am not careful, I can be the class clown to a fault, or I can come out with a figuratively with both arms swinging in a way that would make you want to hide in a school bathroom. So it's, it's, it's about learning to harness those parts, to be curious about where it's coming from. And we can change those patterns. We can breathe, and they can become more of a default, more of the natural thing that we do. Yeah, I read that. I think I read that same study you were talking about. That was that uh, showed this graphic. So show this picture, uh, Carrie, of the mountain. So this uh, neuropsychologist uh, found that this is quite similarly. This is the way our brains look. Uh, that they look like a mountain with grooves in it, uh, because when we practice certain behaviors, when we operate out of those temperaments that we we're given at birth. They form these well-grooved pathways, and so when we come across we come across situations, what happens is we just sort of act in the default ways. We send the information down the grooves, just like water down a mountain. We just send it because reactionary; those things have been etched into our psychological memory. But that same psychologist, uh, that same psychological study found that you can actually, if you work at it, you can rewire your brain. You can form new neuro pathways in your brain. They said, I think the same study said that if you practice at a minimum, at a minimum of three months of trying to set a new behavior, you will biologically, this is so cool how our brain works, you can biologically create new neurological pathways in your brain if you set out to love the Lord your God with all of your mind. You actually begin to engage your mind as a part of, hey, this part of me, this way of thinking is actually holding me back. It's not making me a better follower of Jesus. It's not making me a better partner or a better parent. i got to figure out a different pathway, and we can create those. Oh, I love that so much. We can go all day. Okay, so we talked about 
mind, let's talk about emotions. Let's talk about emotions. So love the Lord your God with all your heart, right? So we're going to talk about emotions. Now I'm going to be honest as we delve into this conversation. Emotions are tricky for me. They're tricky for me. They're tricky because on the one hand, emotions are helpful. They're helpful. And on the other hand, I can point to several examples in my life where my emotions have been deceptive. They've, they've taught me something or they've made me feel something that might not be in alignment with reality. So again, when you're teaching this tool or any tool about gaining self-awareness, what role do emotions play? What kind of change do you hope tools like the Enneagram help us make to maybe how we feel, how we feel our emotions? That's a great question. I think it's important to remember again that what we were saying about emotions are largely not just our our feelings, but they're our values. And sometimes those two get separated. And when they get separated, whatever is arising in terms of the emotion itself, we begin to think that that is actually what reality is. It's completely under the surface of our consciousness, but it has a way of, of getting hold of us. So I want to just ask you a few questions or just give you a scenario, Kyle. All right. Okay. So, um, one day last week, you got in your car, the birds were singing, the pollen was falling, and you're on your way to work, and out of nowhere, a driver just cuts you off and passes you and goes around, and then out of nowhere, this anger shows up in you, right? And before you know it, you are just stepping on the gas because you're going to pass this guy who clearly that morning got up with the intention of doing that to somebody, and you, Kyle, were the person he chose to do it to. It's like you're reading my mind. That's yeah. exactly what yeah. I think you, when those moments occur. You, a pastor, yep. you just want to spread joy and love and happiness, and that is dead to you now. All Gotta that's left Jesus is road rage again. and this anger. And so as you're just like speeding past this guy, you... Give him the stink, I will say, just long enough, just to lock eyes with him, just long enough to see that it's not a guy. It's a woman driving the car, and she's got her sweet two children in the back seat with her. And then embarrassment, shame, and fear seep into it. You're shrinking down. You kind of roll into the driveway, praying, praying, praying that, you know, you don't hear from a member of your staff here because the woman in the car was actually a member of the peak, too. Let me mention that. So, okay. I just. That is like a legit worst case nightmare for worst me. Worst case scenario. I will tell you a quick story, though. Okay, go. This didn't ha that actually didn't happen. Could have happened. But it didn't happen. Uh, the, actually, the opposite happened. One time I was driving in Raleigh and I was going too slow in the left lane. That was actually my fault. I wasn't getting over fast enough in the right lane. And someone flew in front of me, like they went, like, sort of thing. And they had a peak bumper sticker on the back of their car. And here's Kyle. Y'all got to be careful about putting that bumper sticker on the back of your car now. Getting at his phone. You witnessing. I'm praying for you. You're witnessing something. Be safe out there. God we laid you on off. my heart this afternoon <laughs> about 3.40 p.m. Then judgment right. sets in. That's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. But that for sure would totally happen to me, which yeah. you just said. Uh, well, yes. to a lot of us. And here's the thing. 
I made up that story, but that is what we do all the time. We have this emotional reaction, and then our brains just make up a story about it. So that we'll come out on top, right? It's just part of the, um, brain science, again, backs this up. And so, you know, what we have to do is try to, again, remember that we should be leading with our values, right? And let those be the things that we overlay onto what's happening to us and what's coming at us. And we got a slide coming up that's really helpful. Yeah, you gave some like how-to steps. Like how do I move this from theoretical to practical? I loved how you did this. Yeah, yeah. So I encourage you all, get the book Emotional Agility or watch her TED Talk, Dr. Susan David. And she's really great about helping us not beat ourselves up about that. Because let me tell you something, if you start getting critical with yourself, that is a fight you will not win. You'll go deeper and deeper into your personality and you'll be moving far away from this love that God has for us, right? So she says, don't think of emotions as good or bad. They're neither good nor bad, neither good nor bad. How we feel is how we feel. They're just that emotional response, not reality. So we got to learn to just take a deep breath and just ask ourselves what is going on to be curious. Well, and you said this it. you said this to me when we were talking about it. You said Think of emotions as data, yes. not reality. Exactly. Think of them as data, not reality. That was super helpful for yeah. me. Like yeah. data, not the ultimate definer of what happened right. is true. It's data. It's giving you something, you know, that you need to really reflect on. And so, as she's saying, it gives you input, but then you pick the course of action that lines up with your values. So that's one way, just two really important things that you can remember. And then what you can do to take it a step further is consider the situation from somebody else's point of view. So when you're in this place of going, okay, what is reality? Well, who was that person that passed me in traffic? Maybe they were in an emergency situation. Maybe they were going to see somebody and they were super excited. Maybe, maybe, maybe. The bottom line is we don't know. And so to stay open-hearted to possibility and then be strategic. Okay, that just happened. What is my next best move? What's going to take me toward the person that I want to be, the person that I know I am, and what's going to pull me away, right? Well, giving somebody the stink eye take me, it might feel good for a second, but it's going to create a rift. And then finally, address the underlying um, anxiety. That anger, what was that about? You know, was, it, was that anger even about what happened? Take some time to think about it and to reflect on it. Pause. Yeah, I, when you sent me these, um, <laughs> I was appreciative and I was also mad at you. Uh, because <laughs> when I look at these three, it's exactly the opposite of what I want to do. Right. Like, I want to actually just run with the story that my brain is telling yeah. me. Like, true story, a couple weeks ago, Marie and I went to uh, defy gravity with our kids on a Saturday. Bad, bad mistakes. Uh, all of the children from the Apex in Southwest Wake County were there. And we're in line. We've been in line for like 10 minutes trying to finally check in. And someone, this lady with her two kids, cuts us in line. And immediately, like, whoo, I'm hot. And like all these stories start playing in my mind. I'm like, oh, I guess this person didn't learn in second grade. You're not supposed to cut people in line. Like I'm like spinning out about it. And eventually, it's not till like 20 minutes later, I feel this still, small voice say, dude, you don't know nothing about that chick story. 
you don't know if maybe, just maybe, this is a single mom who her kid's been begging her to go to Defy. She's never been there before. She got lost in the shuffle and then just stumbled into the line. Like, you don't know anything. You don't know what she's going through. Like, ease up and tell maybe a wider story. I have this hunch that I'm going to show up in heaven, and there's going to be so many people that I've got a list uh, of people that I've been tempted to hate. Again, this is why Jesus says you got to love your enemies. And I'm going to show up with this list, and Jesus is going to expand the story. He's not, not to justify what they did to me or the wrong that happened, but God's going to expand the story to help me understand that maybe, just maybe, there was more at work. And what that does, what you just said, what it does is that's actually the thing that actually enables me to start living into my values. I'm actually not able to live in my values when I just follow the first story that passes in my brain. The first story that comes through, I'm just like, oh, they're mean. I should go, like, bless them out in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Um, But when I do this work... Or pray for them with a really... self-righteous attitude. That's right. I think that's worse. I'm sorry. That's right. In the name of Jesus. (laughs) Um, But this is why I love, like, one of the fruits of the Spirit, we don't talk about this enough in church, one of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control. We love to talk about all the other ones, and we should, but we fail to talk as much about one of the things that God's going to hold me accountable for is did I control myself? Did I get in touch with myself? Did I heal myself so that I wasn't constantly projecting and hurting and harming other people? So, Gosh, it's so dang good. And it makes me really mad at the same time. Okay, so um, pr- uh, let's, let's move here. Let's move here because we got a couple minutes left. Um, anything else you would add on the action piece? So we talked about our minds. We talked about our emotions. I think those strategies are really helpful for me enacting different things, doing something different than how I've always done before. Anything else on the action side of things? I would just add, this is, it doesn't have to be difficult. It doesn't have to be rocket science. Rocket science. It just practice. Set an intention and practice. Now, I'm telling you, when we got to the part of my training about breathing and pausing and all that, I don't like to, to pause anymore. <laughs> it just slows me down. I mean, I would mute my microphone and turn off my camera and go for coffee and come back and say, oh, they're still doing that, you know, because I, I, I just, I didn't get it, but it's like developing a new muscle and, you know, somebody will say, okay, when you do this exercise, you should feel it here and you don't, but then you keep trying and you keep trying and then you go, oh, that muscle, you ever had that experience? It's like, oh, I've got that. I have found it, and now I can build on it. It's the same thing with self-awareness. To set an intention, um, I try to do my mindfulness stuff when I'm running errands. That is the battleground for me. (laughs) And so I'll set an intention of purposely trying to go slow, taking a breath, trying to notice. When I notice, give myself a signal, like tap my heart, um, and act on it in some way, maybe with gratitude, um, maybe with doing something in response. But uh, I, I just, it, you can figure it out. You can learn more about it. Um, it's hard and it's simple. Yeah. 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 I feel like many Christians, I'll say, actually, I'll go so far. I would argue that most Christians would prefer to do more of what God says to other people and externally than do that work on myself. That's probably the hardest place uh, to then start applying this stuff. Okay, last question, last question. So again, as we're wrapping up this conversation on the Enneagram and this particular tool, 
Again, some of us, this has been language we use a lot in our household, and this is a conversation we're very much attuned to. Some of us, someone even said in between services, they're like, I'm glad this is the last week of the Enneagram. Uh, sweet, sweet man. Um, but his reason for which is because kind of like, I don't know, like I think sometimes, again, I would, I would much rather get a nice little, I would much rather come to church, have a nice little how to make God proud of me list to go and do out in the world, especially for other people. But when I'm doing it to myself, oh, it's risky, it's scary, and it takes so much longer. So here's what I want to ask. Because I think some people, myself included, whenever churches engage in this emotional work, personal, inner work, I don't want to let anyone off the hook. Regardless of whether or not we like this tool or not, we think it's helpful or not, is, I want to ask you the question, is self-awareness optional when it comes to my faith? Am I allowed to just leave here and only focus on just me and Jesus, and I'm going to get, I'm going to do Bible studies, and I'm going to learn as much as I can. Am I allowed to have a relationship where it's just about me and God and not me with myself? And you already know that I changed your question. <laughs> I would ask myself, is it the wise thing to do? Is it the wise thing to do? And really, no to what you said, and I think, no, it's not. The wise thing to do, I mean, here's what I would say. In trying to be open-hearted in, in, in an embodied way, we are missing so much. We are cutting ourselves off. I mean, we get the hard stuff, the irritating, the painful, the terrible. We were talking about this. That stuff sticks to us and it won't let go. The stuff that's really beautiful and grace-filled, it, it just sort of falls off like Teflon. And so we got to fight. We've got to fight for the stuff that is slipping away from us. And that is grace. So I want to tell you a quick story. This kind of goes along with my errand story earlier. Um, I was out to pick up a meal for a family um, that was going through a tough time. And I just set the intention to not be in a hurry as I was picking up the meal. Because y'all, I go in a store like the Pentagon has sent me there on a mission to pick it up as fast as I can and pay for it and just get out and get going. I mean, I really, that's how I... What's your record? Let's, let's just for competition I because time, I might go later no, today. I, I want to see if I can beat you. in Target. Do you? We'll What's your Okay. I don't, I don't, can't, okay. Rem I can't remember details. You can, but I, anyway, we can talk later, but I do. Speak, I time yeah. myself. I've got my list, and if I do it quicker, I'm just like, Whoa. Anyway, all right, back to the Sassel restaurant. So anyway, I'm like, if I don't slow myself down now when I deliver this meal, I will not be in a space to be present. Make sense? So I was slowing myself down, and I was going slow through the parking lot. I wasn't worried about the space I was going to I really wasn't. I was just, like, breathing. And as I got closer to the restaurant, <clears throat> I noticed stuck on the curb going in was this elderly couple. The man had a walker, and his wife was trying to help him onto the curb. And they were struggling. It's like I think his legs had locked up on him. And, I mean, it, it just woke up my, all my senses. I mean, and I did. I felt it in my body first, like, oh, my goodness, they might need some help. Do you know what I mean? And then heart online, what can I do, right? 
So I began to pull over into a parking space. And I'm not kidding when I say when I think about it, it, this was a very quick interaction. It feels like it happened in slow motion. Does that make sense? Okay. So I get into my parking space and I jump out thinking that I'm walking to give them a hand and already there at the curb is another woman. And she is bending down and she gently lifts the leg of this man and puts it his foot onto the curb and then she gets the other one and puts it onto the curb. And then she helps the woman, the wife, I'm assuming, get up onto the curb. And this is all happening as I'm walking toward them. And I mean, it was like, whew. That's what happened to the Grinch, right? He heard the Whoville singing. I felt like that was just the Spirit of God just washing over everything. And so then they go inside the couple, and then the woman's coming toward me. And I just said, thank you. And she said, that could have been my parents. And I went, me too. And she kept walking, and I kept walking. And I will never forget, that lives inside of me. And that's why it's not wise to take a risk and to do this kind of stuff that helps us gain that self-reflection. Not for a way to beat ourselves up, but so that we just don't miss all the good things that are happening around us too. And so to that, I would say, sign me up. Just sign me up. Good Lord. Amen to all of that. Friends, please join me in thanking uh, my sister, Susan, who came and shared so generous with us today. So friends, as we close here today, again, I really do hope, I really do hope and pray that over the course of these last several weeks, you have gained and learned new things about yourself about someone critical in your life. I really, really, really hope and pray that has happened. Whether it happened here in church as a result of this conversation or because of something else, maybe an interaction with a friend or parenting or marriage or whatever. But friends, now uh, as we wrap up and now as we leave this conversation is when the real work begins. This is when the real test occurs. Because you see, friends, it doesn't matter. It really does not matter if you take all the things that are given to you and do nothing with them. What does Jesus say in Luke chapter 12, verse 48? He says this. He says, at the end of the day, to whom much is given, much is going to be required. The inverse is also true, right? To whom little is given, less is going to be required in the life to come. But I believe that Jesus is going to hold me accountable. Like, I showed you stuff. Like, you knew better, but you refused to do better. And so let that not be us. Amen? Let that not be us. As we continue to know better, let us be people who do better. Let that be your challenge this Lent. Thank you for listening to The Peak Podcast. Make sure you subscribe wherever podcasts can be found. For more information on how to get connected with our church, please visit us at thepeakchurch.org.